0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast and it is award season and whilst the bulk of Europe's awards are being won by Alberto Moreno and Villa, Villa Real, I should say, um, we are going to deep dive into Liverpool's own seasonal awards. I'm joined, I'm Dan Morgan, I'm joined by Guy Clark and by Joel Rabinovitz and gentlemen I hope you're well. And like I say, we're going we're gonna to have a look into Liverpool's awards from the 2020-2021 season uh, and the odyssey of such. But first of all, guys, I just want to touch on United's defeat in the Europa League final last night. It's a strange encounter, a strange affair. What
2: did you make of the performance and, and ultimately the, the win for VRL? I, I thought you were going to say you wanted to touch on it. How funny was it? Let's all laugh. Uh, no, uh, it, it, it was... I mean, we're getting there. Yeah, exactly. No, it was uh, it was a weird one. There was so much expectation and pressure on them. Personally, um, watching Arsenal fall apart in the Europa League final a couple of years ago under Unai Emery, and that really being the beginning of the end, I, I don't really want to come out inside the first minute of the podcast with a massive shout, but I think, what, four semi-finals, they've fallen at the hurdle now. Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They've got to a final and they've lost that as well. I do think questions will be nagging away at the back of maybe some of the key players minds as to what they can achieve certainly given they didn't really show up in any way at all Edinson Cavani of course got a goal he's got limited time left really to be that kind of focal point for them signed another one-year contract but yeah it wasn't a great performance for them and uh, I think David De Gea was still there now trying to stop penalties I'm not sure he would have got near one yet either.
1: Yeah, all practising them, um, one or the other. Yeah, I mean, Joel, it, it was uh, it was a whimpering performance from Manchester United, wasn't it? It was a performance in which you felt like there was no real cavalry from the bench, for example. You know, Viedel have made five subs before United have made one. They nearly don't get the two penalty takers on, um, which was funny. Um, but there is... I mean, look, we're external and we're outside looking into this, but tactically, you know, if those sorts of, for want of a better word, mistakes were made by Jürgen Klopp last night, then, you know, you would imagine the LFC family to be up in arms this morning with, with some of the selections and the, the managerial decisions around the game.
0: It's been the way with United almost all season, it feels. Like, you, you watch them and everyone kind of talks about their record of, of coming from behind. I think it's on like over 30 points they've taken from losing positions, but gets to a point where you've got to ask why why are they consistently finding themselves one nil down in games, no matter the calibre of the opposition. Um that's kind of a problem in itself, I think, as well. Something that they talked about on in the studio kind of during the game, before the game, and, and how big a miss Maguire was, and that was kind of towards the end of a league season as well. And I do get it he has he's been massively important for them this season and he hadn't missed a single minute, I don't think, until he did get injured. But I think from our perspective, watching from a kind of a Liverpool lens, seeing United there, those two centre backs, people forget they paid over thirty million each for buy in Lindelof, so it's not like they've just picked up two academy kids um, who have been asked to play there. That's their second and third choice centre backs to kind of use the absence of one player as an explanation for the entire performance being so ropey. It's also not like their defensive record was flawless with Maguire in the team, um, and you do wonder what their season would have looked like if they'd been playing. Fred and Pogba at the back, um, which is the equivalent of what Liverpool were doing this season. But yeah, they they are an odd entity, really. It feels like they just kind of rely on moments of of inspiration, which in fairness, players like Bruno Fernandes and and Cavani and Greenwood and Rashford have provided plenty of times this season. But when there's no real sort of cohesive tactical plan or identity, at least in their attacking play, when those moments don't arrive, the whole thing just looks really flat, and at no point did it feel like they really were kind of sustaining any any real pressure on Villarreal last night.
1: No, absolutely not. Um, without moving on to the laughing and pointing, we'll uh, we'll we'll be dignified. We'll be we'll show such a touch of clash um, as we always do on the dot Uh, and move on to what we are are here for, uh, the the Liverpool End of Season Awards. Uh, You can head over to liverpool.com's website and see that Joel has already penned his, which came out early this morning. If you want to have a look at that, um, head over to liverpool.com now. But for the the purpose of the podcast, we'll start with Player of the Season, Guy. And um, there might be one obvious choice to many, but there is a few interesting names in there, which I'm sure we'll ponder, but give us your... Liverpool player of the season.
2: Yeah, I think it, it's got to be Mohamed Salah. You just wonder where Liverpool would actually have, the depths they would have fallen to without him, because whilst everyone else sort of was suffering a loss of form and injuries around him, he just continues to just keep going. And I think that the actual beauty of Mohamed Salah and that you can recognise certainly in this year is that. It it doesn't matter, what, like I just said before, what everything else around him is happening or if he's even particularly having a good game, you know he will more than likely probably finish the match with a goal. And especially when you're having all of that upheaval defensively that Liverpool had, and there was obviously that time when they just couldn't keep a clean sheet. I know, of course, it was six home defeats and struggling to score in that time at home. But it was a case of... You've got that defensive upheaval, but you kind of know with Salah in the team that the team is probably going to be good for a goal in the game. And then once things do begin to rectify themselves and actually Jürgen Klopp, just no matter what, says, right, Fabinho's got to play in midfield then things begin to then revert. And I think that goal at Manchester United, I think actually his sort of rallying towards the back end of the season, the equaliser at West Brom, obviously Alisson's goal, we talk about that all a lot more. But just what a team player he's proven to be by the end of the season. When you've got all the talks about how selfish he is and this, that and the other, even on the final day, laying on the goal for Sadio Mane and just ensuring that Liverpool get the job done. And then, I mean, he's a striker. He's going to be selfish in certain respects. He then goes looking to get a goal for himself. But first and foremost, it's getting the job done for the team. And he more than anyone, I think this season was the man best placed to be getting that job done.
1: Yeah, I think it's fair to say we've all gone solid. I mean, Joel, just on that though, if you were to said, if someone would have said to you, Liverpool would be languishing around eighth place for the, the best part of the new year. Um they was they would struggle, but they would eventually make a Champions League place. All in all, it'd be a really difficult season they will be guaranteed some lazy stereotypes around, I bet you Salah maybe didn't want to know, or I bet you he was sort of checking out or whatever else. He's at times carried Liverpool this season in an attacking sense, and he's done so in a manner which just once again shows his desire to to be the best at what he, he does. And that, that's often seen again as a this, this strangely sort of selfish narrative that surrounds it, but... Without that drive in the player, Liverpool wouldn't have, have. Liverpool's season would have been an unmitigated disaster, put it that way.
0: Yeah, he puts out that tweet in, I think it's February or, or January time. I can't remember quite after which defeat it was because there were just so many of them. But it was after one of those dreadful results where he, he posted something saying that as a team, we won't let this season just peter out into nothingness. We'll kind of push all the way to the end. And year players say stuff like that, but he. Tell like he really meant it in his performances. You know, the celebration when he scores against United at the end, I know they're already 3-2 up and his goal makes it 4-2, but that was a celebration of a guy who was absolutely desperate to get Liverpool back into the Champions League. And just to go back on, like, looking at his season overall, it's not the fact that he's only maintained his level. He's actually improved his output on the previous two seasons, which, considering Liverpool won a Champions League and a league title in that time, and what we had to put up with this year to, to score 31, I think it was 23 last season, 27 the season before that, to the second best out of his four seasons at the club. It's just unbelievable. And I think some of the the finishes, um, Guy referenced the equaliser at West Brom, which I think was a bit of an overlooked goal, really, because obviously what happens at the end, everyone talks about Alisson, but he, his salad, salad gives them all the platform to go on and eventually win the game. And it's, it's an unbelievable instinctive finish and he's he's done loads of them this season first game against leeds Um he, he raffles that one into the top corner Um it just drops to him in the box against villa i know obviously the 7-2 but his his um his first goal in that game was a similar kind the goal in the derby at goodison newcastle um, at home
1: was a really good goal newcastle
0: at home again they're just like split second finishes where it just drops to him in a box and before a defender can react he's He's kind of added that to his game, I feel. Um, I think that's probably why you've seen him actually up his numbers this season compared to the last two, because, yeah, even when Liverpool haven't been kind of flowing so much as an attacking force, all it takes is is a little ricochet to drop in his direction. He's just, he's so cold and ruthless in those moments. And yeah, for me, I don't have to think very long about player of the season. I, I would put Fabinho in the conversation as well. I think his kind of return to the midfield is, has been one of the biggest factors in, in terms of getting him over the line in the end but I think yeah, you, you can't let beyond Salah for this one
1: Guy just interestingly from your point of view what type of player do you see Mohamed Salah becoming there's a lot of emphasis on his pace it doesn't look like he's slowing down he's got tremendous core strength um, but obviously we've seen this season that injuries can hit anyone so in terms of his sort of evolution as a as a footballer and at Liverpool, which is what you know, I guess we all want. What what do you see him becoming as a player?
2: I think he just continues to be what he is, and that's just a pure out and out talisman, isn't it? I mean, I think I think the feeling probably by the end of last season was probably it was two forwards that Liverpool had in. Mane and Salah and that they were kind of beginning to get towards being certainly on an equal footing what one couldn't do the other certainly could you think Mane and the aerial prowess he has that Salah maybe doesn't quite have but Salah more kind of um with those kind of finishes and those instinctive ones that Joel mentioned before. But I, I just think he just continues to be the man for Liverpool, the go-to man. And the thing on the selfish narrative and the, the selfish point, I think needs to just be completely blown out of the water because it wasn't all too long ago against Chelsea that he was subbed off just after the hour mark. His agent put that tweet out. He's got what, two years left on his contract Salah. at that yeah, point yeah. after that game, I think fourth of, um, March that game was, I think I'm I'm right in saying. Liverpool, after that game, were down in seventh place and were really beginning that slide out of the top four places. Now, two years left on his contract, putting up the numbers he's putting up in a team that's faltering. If he was selfish, he could have just gone, not for me this, I'm going to force the hand and I can get a move because I'm an elite player. I mean, look at a player like Eden Hazard, for example, during his time at Chelsea. He would go between having a brilliant season and then not so brilliant season. And when the time came around for him to want to move to Real Madrid, he just made it happen. Salah could have very easily this year, we could have been talking about Liverpool finishing sixth, Salah still scoring 20 Premier League goals and getting himself a move, albeit we are in a difficult financial climate. Still get a move. It's Mohamed Salah. He's one of the top five forwards on the planet. Someone's definitely going to take him and make sure they found the money to do it. So I think he's, he, I think in terms of going forward, that is what he is. He's the talisman. He is the man that Liverpool continues to turn to. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Goal of the season. Joel, give us your choice.
0: I was deliberating between a few here. Um, at the end, I went with Alisson. I just felt like I had to pick it um, because yeah, All the context around it, the fact that no goalkeeper I don't think has ever scored a header in the Premier League. Definitely not a 95th minute winning header and definitely not in the context when it's basically saving Liverpool's season and keeping their European hopes alive. Um so and it's a great all, header. And it's an unbelievable Water. header. That's the thing as well. If, if Van Dyke scores that, he's, he's counting that as one of the best goals of his career. It's the technique. It's a great delivery by Trent, but he, he just guides it perfectly. It's not a fluke. It's just brilliant technique and a brilliant moment and one of my favourite ever football moments I would say really I wouldn't go as far as that so kind of for that reason I went with that I think there's probably more spectacular goals um other ones that I thought about um not to kind of steal your answers here but obviously the the Salah breakaway goal against West Ham uh at the end of January where it's just so simple but so brilliant it's vintage kind of Klopp Liverpool really where Trent pings it out to the left wing Shakiri first time over the top and and Salah's touch and finish is unbelievable. Um, I think I, I remember the Aldam goal in front of fans against Wolves at Anfield, where he just puts it in the top corner. Um, and there's two or three in the Palace, 7-0. Um, Firmino's first one, Henderson puts one in the top corner, Salah comes on and puts one in the top corner. So um, Trent against Aston Villa as well was another brilliant strike. But I think in terms of when we do goal of a season, I think you have to look beyond sometimes purely the kind of aesthetic of the strike and the, what it actually meant and I think, yeah, for all those reasons, I could not pick a goalkeeper scoring the winner, so.
1: Okay, Guy, give us your choice.
2: Yeah, just sort of what said. I think the one other than Allison that popped into my mind was Trent. I think that goal against Aston Villa was unbelievably yeah. important Um and the timing of it. I think I love a goal on the counter. The one at West Ham was brilliant, but, even in terms of aesthetics. A goalkeeper in trackies coming forward, man of my own heart, flicking the header into the far corner. I, I, I can't look anywhere down other other than Allison at West Brom.
1: That's fair. I've gone with with uh Salaz against West Ham. There's mm. there's something about that. It's in the midst of that horrible run. And there's something about that goal that just tells you that Liverpool's DNA is still there. Because it's the the quintessential cop got clock goal in many senses. And you know, it's it's one that almost has shades of Terry McDermott against Tottenham in the way the ball just switches from one end of the pitch to the other. And even though it's in the midst of Liverpool having a horrible, horrible time, you can just see that the things they love to do on a football pitch is still there. And for me, you know, they would go on and they, I think they would lose another few home games from this and, it, and, and it'd be a while until they picked it up again. But it, it just gave me a little shot in the arm that they're still there. They're still going through a tough time, but they're still, what, what we know them to be is still there. And yeah, I think it's an incredible goal. Like you said, Joel, the touch from Salah is so, so underrated because he, he's got not even a yard to sort of trap it in and finish. And The and ball like, Shaqiri as
0: well. He's running at full pelt. He doesn't even take yeah. a touch to control it. The whole thing is, yeah, is, it's a wonderful it's incredible.
1: goal. <clears throat> okay. We'll move on. We'll go team performance. So I'm going to go um, first and I'm going to, have a nice time with this because it is Guy Clark Arsenal at home. Um, And for reasons nothing to do with you being on this podcast, uh, it's Arsenal at home. I think it's not only Liverpool's performance of the season, I think it's going to go down as one of Klopp's great forgotten performances. And Liverpool, uh, this season has played and will play so many tricks of the mind on us that I think we'll eventually sort of forget that it was part of 2020-2021. It is an incredible performance from Liverpool. They are relentless, they are insatiable um, and they are the biggest pain in the backside to any opposition team. Unfortunately for you guys, it just happened to be Arsenal that night. Uh, Arsenal got a goal up, it just seems to make Liverpool even angrier. Sadio Mane should be arguably sent (laughs) off after about five minutes because he's a man possessed. Um, But Liverpool's pressing, Liverpool's... Liverpool's ethos of they have our points could never be more prevalent than that night in my opinion and then there's the wonderful full-time antics when Jürgen Klopp almost fronts Roy Keane because he thinks he's heard them say that they didn't play well or something like that um, and then there's the Arteta interview which is magnificent in its honesty and it's its its resignation that this was the assistant manager of Manchester City not six months ago and He's shrugging his shoulders saying, I can do everything you're asking me to do on a football pitch against these, but they just play a 60-yard back pass from the centre-back to Mohamed Salah and they're out. So what do you want me to do? And he laughs and he just laughs it off and says, the quality, it's quality. And, and I think it's a, it's a brilliant Liverpool performance that I say, we'll remember the season for many different things, but I think for that one alone, it will go sort of lost and forgotten. Um, but it's one of Klopp's best and I I reckon the Klopp archives and the Klopp memoirs when they're written will tell us that that night he's seen a Liverpool side in his image Um, and I think it's one that if we should get a chance to we should watch back because it's it's a brilliant performance.
2: Yeah, I, I think you've... You nearly converted me to to changing my answer to, to that. As you say, I remember Arsenal going ahead in that game and thinking they've scored too early, but it was beyond sort of the midway point of the first half anyway. And yet you just felt as soon as that had gone in, it was such a complete performance. It was unbelievable that the the game I've actually chosen is Wolves at home and and purely a bit like what Joel said in terms of, I know it's performance of the season, so it should be the the exact kind of performance on the pitch, but... The fact that it was the first game back where fans were able to get inside and it felt like obviously thinking of even the the Crystal Palace game from during the project restart and Liverpool won 4-0. And it was just before crowning the or being given the, the league title after City went to Stamford Bridge. But it was kind of one of them to me that it was like we have won the title. We've not all been able to celebrate, but now you're back in the ground, albeit obviously only two thousand fans. We're going to put on a show. One four nil really put Wolves to the sword. The other game that stuck out to me was Leicester at home as well. I think around that period, those three yeah. home games were three fantastic showings. And as I say, I plumped for Wolves, but I think it, I think you could have picked really any any of the three. And albeit Arsenal at that time when they'd come to Anfield, the game you referenced, Dan, had come. Not long off the back of an FA Cup win, having one on penalties in the, the community shield as well, thinking they had Liverpool's number. How wrong could they be?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Some some good other shouts in there too. Joel, what have you gone with? Yes, man, I'm no one's mentioned and I'm not even gonna pick these, but no one's mentioned the 7 0 against Palace or the 5-0 against Atalanta. Um I think both yeah. those two are more unbelievable displays of finishing than like incredible complete yeah. 90-minute performances. Because Liverpool do concede chances. I remember the Palace game. There's between the first and the second goal going in, it's a little bit ropey, and Palace sort of cause a few issues. And it's it's not like a, a masterclass from start to finish. It's just the finishing is unbelievably clinical. I, I was um, going to say
1: Palace massively throw the hand in for me. Like they yeah. massively toss one in, and and I and I think they, they they were just they were feeble opposition. Come the end of it, um, so yeah, I know what you mean on those Atalanta was a great performance, but yeah.
0: Yeah, so I've I've gone with the United away, the 4-2, um, which it is not a flawless performance by any stretch, um, which kind of given the, the centre back pairing they've got is is unsurprising. United do get in behind, they score two goals, they could get more. Um Liverpool don't start particularly well, obviously go one nil down. Um it's a poor goal to concede early on, but I think the way they came back into that game. I think given what we know about Liverpool going to Old Trafford over the years under Klopp, we've become so accustomed to just expecting them to retreat into this shell there for whatever reason, even when they've had brilliant teams in the last few seasons, it just feels like no matter how good they are in terms of form going into it, they just don't perform at Old Trafford. And I know the fans are not there, so it completely changes the kind of complexion of it, but it still was a real hoodoo. One of the last real kind of big achievements, I suppose, that Klopp hadn't managed um in his, his Liverpool tenure. And to go there needing to win, the pressure was completely on. Um, I think I'd probably speak for quite a lot of Liverpool people saying I the reason I didn't think they would get top four in the end is because I saw that fixture in the run in and knowing that they had to basically take all the points from the last few games, I just thought it was difficult to see. Um, and for them to go 1-0 down, pull it back, and a the manner they did before half-time, but then to go on and just motor away in the second half, I thought that the first sort of 20 minutes or so of that second half, and then even when Rashford gets the goal back into it, they don't lose their nerve. They just control the game and they're so much a better team. And I think that, that night really was the first time. I know they had other kind of good victories this calendar year. We've referenced the West Ham game. They beat Tottenham away. There's a few other ones in between, but that was the first real kind of, it felt like watching Liverpool again, the Liverpool that you recognise. It was almost a little bit like a throwback, I felt, to the sort of 17-18. Yeah, we know that we're going to be a little bit open at the back and we will concede chances, but we're so much better than you on the ball, creating chances, scoring goals. And yeah, for Firmino to get a couple, given the kind of criticism he's come in for fairly, I think, this season, it was just, it was huge. And um, Nat Phillips jinking his way through the box and cutting it back to Jota was just a bit of a surreal moment. he'd been shown that clip at the start of a season, you'd have thought something very strange had gone on. And then, yeah, that Salah breakaway at the end is just, yeah, it's one of the moments of the season, really. So I think that that really sort of, I think, gave them a belief thereafter. They still had to go and do a job against West Brom, Burnley and Palace. But I think they, they felt so confident about themselves um, from having done that. Um, so yeah, I'm gone for that one.
1: Yeah, a team missing its first choice centre back, struggling, who knew?
2: The Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Biggest surprise of the season, this doesn't have to be player related, it can be absolutely
0: anything. Uh, Joel, what have you gone with? Um, Well, I went with Jota. Uh, I was considering Nat Phillips. I think he's the the obvious one most people go for, but I think it's easy knowing what we know now about how Jota's performed to kind of go, oh, yeah, he's he's just a great player. But I think go back to when he signed, I was excited. It was obviously straight off the back of the Thiago news and it wasn't a player we'd been linked with really at all. It just came completely out of the blue. And I was pleased with it because obviously we all wanted Liverpool to sign an have a attacker and I'd seen what Jota had done at Wolves and liked the look of him. But I always saw him as a player who maybe for the first season, maybe sort of, Fifteen to twenty starts, all competitions, mostly comes off the bench, is a bit of an impact player. Um, maybe gets somewhere between sort of seven to ten goals in all competitions, and then maybe kicks on in year two or year three. And that's kind of what my expectation was. I think he got seven league goals in his previous season at Wolves. Um, he'd scored a few more in the Europa League, but by no means did I expect him to just come in and explode in the manner he did. And I think Obviously, that knee injury that he gets in that that dead rubber against Mitchelland is so unfortunate because at that point he's right up there alongside Salah and Fabinho in Liverpool's sort of player of the season competition. He really is that good, um, and you look at his kind of minutes per goal ratio at that point. He's well on course to smash through, let alone twenty sort of twenty five goals in his first season, um, and he kind of well and truly broken up the template front three, which have been so established for so long, and I think. Most of us now will go into next season saying he needs to be starting the vast majority of games when he's fit. Um, And obviously, real shame that he gets injured again and misses out um, in those last few games. Um, But he still makes some important contributions when he comes back in the second half of the season. I think the brace off the bench against Arsenal. Sorry, Guy, but big goals. um, He obviously gets the equaliser at Old Trafford. And yeah, he's, he's just been such a breath of fresh air, really, for me.
1: Do you think it works tactically, Joel, when they, the, you've seen the four of them together? I mean, do you think it can work if they all stay fit going into next season?
0: It, I'm still yet to be convinced by it. Some games, the City away game, I think, weirdly, even though Liverpool end up drawing it, is probably the first half hour, at least, I think, when they go to the Etihad and they get the early penalty and they, they should really score another two or three, really. I think that's the best it's looked with Henderson and one album sitting and he, he plays the four that day but there's been other examples this season where it just it sounds a lot better when you speak about it and then when you actually see it on the pitch they just don't seem to be able to sustain pressure and pin teams back quite in the same way when they don't have three central midfielders and it all looks a little bit like they're playing on different wavelengths I'm not quite sure what it is but maybe it's something that just needs to kind of be practiced on and, and worked with over time but I think more often than not, I, I tend to prefer it when it's three. And that also gives you the option off the bench. I think that, for me, is, is a bit of an issue when you've got the four because then if you aren't playing well or you haven't scored, you struggle to see where your real gear changes. Whereas if you start the three, you can just take off the one who's, who's not having the best game and bring on, whether it's Mane, Firmino or Jota, to change things off the bench.
2: Okay. Guy, your biggest surprise of this season? Um where to start? Uh there's so many, uh, so many shocks through the course of the season, season like any other. But um I was gonna say, or one of the one of the ones I think we have to mention is losing seven two at Villa Park. I don't think anyone would have foreseen that coming in a million years. A goalkeeper scoring, um, another one. For me though, I'm gonna choose Ben Davis signing for Liverpool from Preston North End, just because of the the actual journey I've seen sort of Ben Davis take as a, as a footballer. Some may or may not know I do a bit of commentary on the side and cover Preston North end. And I've seen Ben Davis go from being a young player at Preston North end, go out on loan to Fleetwood, develop there, then come back to Preston. His contract was set to sort of finish at the end of the season anyway. And it all looked as though he was probably going to move on to maybe another Premier League side or Celtic obviously have been spoken about as well, that they were very much in the conversation. And I remember their last game before he'd moved, they'd played Sheffield Wednesday away. They'd lost 1-0. And then on the Sunday, just beginning to see the news coming through, Ben Davis is signing for Liverpool and thinking, Preston's where I live as well. Um, in-laws are big Preston fans as well. I'm just thinking, crikey, all of a sudden, Liverpool are taking this lad and he's going to get the chance and the opportunity to play for Liverpool, which obviously hasn't happened thus yet. We'll have to wait and see. But I think in terms of actually biggest shock factor and biggest surprise, yeah I think that that is that is actually for me the, the biggest surprise so you've watched him go on this journey
1: um yep. go through all these different parts and now you can't watch him at all um, exactly something like that yeah I mean there, there's, there have been some rumors this week that he's set to stay at Liverpool do you think it's just the case that they've given this season to bed in and, and get used to the, the requirements try and step up a level in terms of fitness get used to better players
2: yeah I'd like to think so I mean it's, with all due respect, again, if someone or players like Nat Phillips going from Stuttgart in Bundesliga two to step up to play for for Liverpool and Reese Williams from Kidderminster Harriers to to Liverpool, it's not an inhumane thing that is unable to be achieved. Preston obviously defend and play a lot different to Liverpool, but yeah, I, I would like to think that he will get given an opportunity somewhere down the line, whether it be in League Cup games or or what. But because for Liverpool, there's a decent asset there, a 25-year-old left-footed centre-back who's homegrown. I mean, they aren't the cheapest players to get on the market and Liverpool got one for half a million pounds. Um, it might be sneered at the fact that he hasn't played or featured at all or been had someone like Rhys Williams picked ahead of him on the bench before, but... Uh, before big games and whatnot, and he's had a few injuries. But I would like to think that somewhere down the line, because I'm not going to go back on what I've seen over a number of years. I think he's a a very good player who was ready for the Premier League, one of the best defenders in the Championship. And you see players like Adam Webster, Dan Byrne, Ben White, all of these guys who have gone through James Tarkowski playing in the the Championship to step up. I see no reason why he he wouldn't be able to.
0: He posted on uh, Instagram this morning some picture saying that he'd like completed his rehab on his calf which kind of I know they've been a little bit vague about him having some injuries but maybe there's more of a serious issue that perhaps explains why he hasn't even been made, making the matchday squad for a while That yeah. they just kind of haven't really been that public about I suppose yeah all
1: very interesting I, I have gone with a player I've gone with Curtis Jones um, I think his development has probably gone a little bit under the radar due to the, the chaos of, of this season, but I just remember sort of watching Curtis in the the Merseyside Derby FA Cup win last season, and although he scores that goal, just thinking tactically for a Liverpool midfield, he, he he wasn't where he needed to be a lot of the time, and I, I had concerns about him. And I think his his stature and his presence on a football field this season has been has been. Astronomical, to be honest. I think he looks at home in Champions League games. I think he's someone who doesn't necessarily um, look a million miles off some of Wijnaldum's best traits in terms of how he can keep the ball, how we can recycle for Liverpool. I think that he'll only get better, and I think that his his belief in himself is something that we should all sort of encourage in nature because. I think Liverpool have have uncovered a player there who looks like a Liverpool midfielder and it's taken me a little bit by surprise. But the thing I remember saying to Ollie in a video after a a game this season, I think it might have been the Ajax game in which Liverpool won, that if Curtis Jones was knocking around for Barcelona, now everyone would be saying, who's this kid? He's worth 50 million. Um, And I think that already there's some people starting to sort of, on his back a little bit on, on, on online social media which is no surprise really but you know the fact that he isn't sort of box to box busting his lungs out um, and flying here there and everywhere or over the pitch is it's not necessarily what Liverpool wants he looks very cultured he looks very certain of himself on the ball and I think Liverpool have found a way to sort of get into him what they want but also found a way to use his best attributes too so um I'm really excited by Kurt's development and I and I hope it, it keeps it keeps moving in the right direction. Um we shall move
2: forward. Biggest disappointment of the season. Guy, I'll come to you first. No, biggest disappointment again, I probably had a catalogue of these. I think it has been okay. fairly wretched, hasn't it? Um one of the one of the big disappointments I actually had was and it, it, around Allison's goal, the fact that there were no away fans there, because that would have been right in front of the away end. It's exactly what football's all about, the emotion and moments like that. That isn't going to be the moment I go for. Um, a player I'd put forward would be Divock Origi. One goal all season against League One side in the League Cup is absolutely horrendous. But I'm actually going to go for, and I know it might be a bit controversial, I'm going to go for the title defence. And I don't mean in terms of where Liverpool then went to with the injuries and the fact that they couldn't defend the title because it's completely understandable. But I think in terms of from the beginning of the season, just like you mentioned the Arsenal game and everything like that, the fact that circumstance meant that this side couldn't put up a a realistic and proper defence of their title, that they'd fought so hard to win over a number of seasons that then due to... well. Due to an accident and freak, in terms of the injury to Van Dyke, but poor officiating even within that game in the Merseyside derby that Everton um, weren't reduced to to ten men at that point. Then you don't know if the injury to Tiago happens; he might then bed into the team a lot quicker, and Liverpool find their way. You, I mean, there's so many variables around it all. But for me, yeah, I'm I'm going to sort of stick my my neck on the line and say the title defence was the disappointment for me.
1: I think that's totally fair. I think it's totally totally reasonable in terms of where Liverpool were you know it's easy to forget they were they were top of the league on Boxing Day and Christmas Day um, and then you know one injury too many to Joel Matip and then it's it's something which becomes unmanageable and, and Klopp's often referenced that this season that you know if he could have gone a season with Matip and Gomez then he would have been absolutely certain that Liverpool would have mounted mounted a, a reasonable title challenge and I think it'll be interesting to see Guy what steps they put in place this summer to ensure that doesn't happen next season. You can't account for injury a lot of the time, but there will be ways in which Liverpool will feel they could have handled certain situations better for sure.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Because I think you look at certainly the last few seasons of what has been so great about this Liverpool side is the fact that they have had consistency of selection. We've spoken all so much this season about Jorginho Wijnaldum moving on and one of the biggest things that Liverpool will miss from him is, is sheer availability and the fact injuries haven't struck now obviously so much work has gone into actually making there's not a coincidence there's so much work that's gone into that and maybe in the summer did Liverpool get a bit complacent in thinking our medical side are so good that we can risk going in with sort of three senior centre-backs and Fabinho can fill in. I mean, the idea even in pre-season was that Billy Kimetio by the end of the season might have been ready for first-team action. Um, Not quite proven to be the case, but yeah, maybe there was a bit of complacency on that. And now it's a case of learning from your mistakes, making sure that the squad is reinforced in all the areas it needs to be with proper specialist players and then going again. Okay, I'll give you mine.
1: Um, It's more a landmark mind than an actual moments but I've, I've singled out Brighton at home um, and more for what it represented at the time. you know I think in general in society we're gonna we're gonna have a long time processing the events of the past year or so and, and particularly the latest lockdown those three months in winter where it was sort of perpetually dark cold, raining and you seem to do nothing else but watch Liverpool lose games of football on TV. <laughs> It was probably one of the darkest times um, in in both football support and life, and, and life for many people, including myself. So, I remember that Brighton game in particular as as one where I just felt, God, this is just absolutely zero fun, zero laughs. There's there's no there's no enjoyment out of this whatsoever. And more more to the point, you know, you got to see. And look, I'm nearly thirty five years old, and for me to call. You know a football team and a gang of football players' heroes is maybe a bit childish, but they, they did become heroes to Liverpool supporters uh, for what they achieved over the, the years previous. And to see sort of people you were class as heroes in a football sense be reduced to such a level of disbelief and, and, you know, just sheer and utter miserableness for want of a better phrase or word, yeah, I think it. Misery, I think's the best word I was looking for there. (laughs) Miserableness and misery, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with miserableness because it was, I think it was that level, it was beyond misery. Um, So yeah, that sort of time in in life and in this season is one that I think in general, just none of us want to go back to um, in any way, shape or form. So we're hoping that, you know, we're hoping for more sort of eternal sunny days from Liverpool and, And that in sort of a metaphorical sense as well as a literal one
0: joel biggest disappointment um i'm gonna go with a different one here to the one i did in the piece so in the piece i picked out cater um for reasons that i don't think we really need to go into he just hasn't played a lot of football we all wanted him to better and when he has been on the pitch we've just not seen enough um barring a few games at the start of the season we did okay um, but I'd say in general, and, and I know it is going to come across as biased, but we are talking about it from a Liverpool perspective, and the numbers are there to back it up. In fairness, but VAR has been an absolute
2: that was next on my was... this season. Yeah.
0: I've absolutely, I almost feel hypocritical slaughtering it because I was one of the people who, when it first came in, I thought if this is applied sensibly in theory, I can see why it would be a good thing for football because there were so many bad decisions being made and the idea that you could check things and get good decisions uh, in key moments at the side games seemed like a sensible idea but the amount of times I've been watching just in utter like disbelief and to the point where you you, you don't want to go into all kind of conspiracy theory territory but you almost feel like you are being conned because the outcome of what you're watching is determined by someone sitting in a box at Heathrow Airport and just deciding what they want to be the case and there's been so many this season where I don't think it's even a a kind of a club bias thing but anybody who actually enjoys football for what it is would watch Uh, I'm talking about the disallowed Henderson goal in the derby for instance there is no way anybody will ever be able to convince me that Mane is offside there he just isn't he's level um there's the one where Fabinho tackles a Sheffield United player and wins the ball outside the box. So there are two things that you need to do to concede a penalty he doesn't do, That's and they decide, decide to bring it back in. The Brighton one with the Danny Welbeck, where not a single Brighton player appeals the thing to with a that, foul. The thing that came back
2: into my consciousness the other day, watching the yeah. um, Chelsea-Leicester game, when Timo Werner threw himself in front of Yuri Tielemans and got kicked. And I thought, oh, well, we saw one of those at the Amex earlier in the season. That's going to be a penalty. And then it wasn't given. Yeah, and then it wasn't. And I was like, oh, what's going on there?
0: Like, yeah. It's the inconsistency as well, because you just see decisions being made in different games by completely different parameters. And the thing is, this isn't just a against-Liverpool thing. I think they did come out by far worse in terms of overturned decisions against. I think they got 13 against them this season, which is just... Unbelievable, really. But there are ones where it has gone in their favour. Um, obviously, the West Brom equaliser gets disallowed. You could say harshly so. Um, there was a Werner goal at Anfield, which was another one of those just ridiculous ball offsides, which just should be a goal. Um, but yeah, so many of them. I mean, I think back to that brilliant Salah goal against Spurs away where, OK, they go on and win the game, but you get disallowed for a handball by Firmino about 20 seconds earlier in the passage of play, with the ball diverted onto his arm by Eric Dyer's arm. Things like that. Um was it the Aston Villa game where Firmino scores and it's given offside because Jota? Yeah. And I, I still and look at sure that image.
2: Bash's got a touch on it or something.
0: Yeah, and I still look yeah. at that image and it just Yeah, it really has. And it it's I think it's it's a cliche thing to say now, but it is that you you are constantly second guessing everything you see. Um, you know, even for a split second, the Allison Heather, I was just like, are they gonna let this happen? Did he not like climb on someone's shoulders, or there was a handball in there, or or someone doing something? I don't know." But I think it it really has sort of when you talk about that period earlier this calendar year, we're in lockdown, Liverpool losing every week. The fact that that was just layered on top of every single game. Um, yeah, for me, it was just hard to stomach um, on quite a few occasions.
2: It did rule out an equaliser, though, for Chelsea in the cup final. So, I mean...
0: Well, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was fun. But no, I agree with you. Absolutely horrendous.
1: Well, I was going to offer up a, a, an honorary Mark Wakefield that and done with football moment of the season, but I think Joel's covered all bases there. Um, I can so, go yeah, on. we I want. want
0: more. But <laughs> oh, I'll there's leave just it there. tons more. Yeah, yeah. That's we chose um, a cheery
2: note as well to finish the awards as well, didn't we? Disappointment. Everyone's <laughs> everyone's finishing this on a downer now.
1: Liverpool finished uh, third in the Premier League. Somehow, there's the cheery note. Um, huge thank you to Guy Clark to Joel Rabinovitz Look, we've got Champions League football next season. Um, we've hopefully got fans back in stadiums. Hopefully, we've got a little bit more sunshine and light, like I say, and um, and hopefully we've got better days to look forward to. So for now, we'll leave it on that note. Um, take care of yourselves. That's been the Liverpool.com podcast, and we'll see you again soon.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.